Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. Anytime we approach a chef and we basically say, look, we have a built-in audience that is price insensitive. This is an opportunity to do whatever you want. Have some fun. Be creative. Use ingredients you wouldn't normally use. And anytime we have that conversation with a chef, they're just like, oh, I got this one thing I was thinking about. Why don't we do this? Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. It's a risk to get into this industry. It's a risk to open your own restaurant. And for most of us, after we've taken those two big risks, our appetite for risk diminishes. But as the years wane on, there's this nagging within us. All these amazing ideas for all these incredible dishes and concepts that we're afraid to execute because, honestly, they're really out there. That's why I reached out to the guys from Bite. These guys live on the edge of culinary greatness, curating interesting and entertaining pop-up events within existing restaurants with the chefs that helm them. In today's conversation, we unpack the essential elements of a memorable event, how to find your true audience, and most importantly, how to sell out every single time. So my name is Alex Jacobs. I am the Chief Operating Officer at Byte. Been there since day one. And I head up collaborations for Byte Club. Guto, who are you? I'm Guto Raki, the founder and CEO of Byte. Joey Rubin, who the fuck are you? I'm Joey Rubin. I'm a friend of the pod. Uh, (laughs) I joined the Byte team last year with Guto and Alex and have spent my career in clubs, bars, restaurants, festivals, all types of shenanigans in the food and beverage industry. So Bike Club is this kind of membership-based, events-based thing that's kind of centered around bringing drop culture into food. But for folks that don't know, what is drop culture and what are the origins of it? Go off, Guto. All right. (laughs) Anyone? (laughs) Bueller? Bueller. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like exactly. Like we're like the drop culture of food. I think that to summarize what drop culture is, is like creating something special for an limited edition for a group to meet a group in a different point of the demand curve. And I don't know if that sounds too jargony. It does. Unpack that for me. What does that actually mean in practical application? All right. Maybe I'm tracing parallels. I think that it's like, I like to see ourselves a little bit like the off-white of food. I think that anyone can walk into a Nike store and buy some dunks, but there is a limited edition of these shoes that can be bought at a certain price that people who are looking for a more exclusive experience or they are attentive to different details, they seem to be drawn to. So that's what we do with Byte. Obviously, it's not that superficial. I think our motivation is much more interesting than that. One thing that we realized when we look at food in general is that 
it's a conglomerate of very talented artists that would love to express who they are, who love to put their best foot forward, but they're also in business. So they always have to think about the market and the audience, and they end up in their supply chain, and they end up designing a menu that is fit to reality. So what Bai does, we go to these chefs and these restaurants, and basically we unleash their creativity in their artfulness, and we give them the opportunity to come up with something, not worrying about whether or not it's going to sell, it's going to be a hit, how people will perceive it. And that is an incredibly rewarding experience for everyone. Obviously, on our end, we build the audience for that product, right? And because there is no point of reference for something like that, we can have the luxury to make a sandwich with an ingredient that it's $90 a pound, like we just did with Wes Avila, and we sell out every time. And the impact of that, not only I think that it is very inspiring for the chefs that work with us to know that they have that space, but it's obviously an extra stream of income on top of their operating business. Let's talk about what that looks like in practical application. Alex, tell me about your, was it February 22nd program that you just launched? That's right. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, people. Next Tuesday is 2-22-22. And we are doing Taco Tuesday with Chef Alex Carrasco of B Taqueria, who's just incredible. It's going to be a 22-course taco omakase with 22-ounce beers, two shots of tequila, $222 for two, 22 seats total. And as of actually just now, we just posted on Instagram, it has just sold out officially. So, But that is coming up in a week. And on a personal level, I'm extremely excited about that. Amazing food coming out of uh, B Taqueria. Well, it's just, it's a very interesting dynamic because typically a lot of the vendors, the event coordinators that work within our industry, they're trying to convince restaurant owners and operators to discount. If you discount, you'll do this. I'll drive a bunch of traffic. It's all very unpredictable, but you do have built-in systems. You had said it before, Guto, you do have built-in systems to help support the restaurateur. Like it's ticketed. So you know exactly how many you're going to sell. It's all predetermined and you guys do a really good job of selling out. Yeah, it's super interesting, right? Like, you know, I would imagine that in any business, I think that the biggest nightmare would be to invest your time and your passion into something and then crickets. So the way we designed by was like, we should never let that happen. Not only because like we're talking about money that can be lost, but from like an ego perspective too. I don't know about you guys, but I remember one time my parents threw for me a birthday party last minute, and I was expecting to see all my friends, and only four of my friends showed up. And we ended up having fun, but that broke my heart too. And I will carry probably that experience for the rest of my life. So we make sure that we do on Bide is that whenever there is something exciting, that we match that excitement with our promotional materials that we shoot the food in the best lighting, that we edit, you know, like our videos, that we match the talent of the chef with our talent when it comes to marketing and communications. And the result of that end up being selling out every time faster and faster as our audience grows. Well, post-pandemic, all the industry is talking about is experience. That's what everyone truly wants. Everybody wants an experience. It's not really about 
food and beverage. It's about the act of enjoying that food and beverage and setting the stage for that so that it's a memorable experience. And that really does seem to be your core competency because you're working within the framework of brick and mortar restaurants that are already existing with that traditional dining model today. I'm curious to know, what does the ideation process look like? Do you go to a restaurant with an idea? Do you do it collaboratively? Do they come to you? It depends, but I got to say, anytime we approach a chef and we basically say, look, we have a built-in audience that is price insensitive. This is an opportunity to do whatever you want, have some fun, be creative, use ingredients you wouldn't normally use. And anytime we have that conversation with a chef, they're just like, oh, well, you want to know something? I got this one thing I was thinking about. Why don't we do this? So everyone's got something they kind of want to try. They never wanted to sort of like actually move forward with it. And suddenly this is an opportunity to do that. But, you know, sometimes we have a specific idea we'll approach a chef with. Other times we approach a chef with another chef to collaborate with. And it's just sort of, yeah, a collaborative process. But everyone's got something they're sort of thinking about and working on. And this is an opportunity to sort of be creative and try it. When I look at the anatomy of a banger, I think that there are like two sides to the coin, right? There are these two essential elements. And the first is creating an irresistible offer. And then the second is having the ability to get the word out to an audience that actually wants what you're offering. So if we were to dig into the first, what do people want? How are you able to figure out what works in the market? When you talk about, you know, we have an audience that's incredibly large and not sensitive to price. Everyone listening is going, myself included, sign me up for that shit. That sounds good. I would like to have access to those people. How do you find those people and how do you find out what they want? Yeah, I think the people that we have cultivated in this list are not just like your everyday dining types. Of course, they do have that need as well. But when they come to Bite, they're looking for something unique, special, and they know it's just going to be kind of out there. I think probably the biggest driver is curiosity. We do things that just like sort of pique people's interest. And they're like, I need to try that. An example would be, I mean, we just had a couple of drops this past weekend over Super Bowl and Valentine's Day, but we did one with Oishi, which has the omakase berry. It's this exquisite Japanese varietal. It's an extremely high price point per strawberry, but it was sort of a strawberries and chocolate Valentine's Day arrangement with uh, Amy Lennox, so thank you so much. And people were just like, that strawberry costs how much? I mean, it's not just price we're using, but in this case, this really unique ingredient, and people just wanted to try it, see what it was all about. So I think curiosity is a huge driver. And yeah, oftentimes it's just like sort of a fun and interesting concept, you know, the story of the restaurateur or collaborator we're working with. But what are the essential elements of an irresistible offer? Like, what are the components that you put together? I could rattle some off. I want, I want everyone to, to take a crack at this as well. I would say amazing chef, talent, and collaborator. Oftentimes a unique ingredient that you wouldn't ordinarily see or something that maybe doesn't quite normally fit. For instance, instead of a BLT, we did a CLT with caviar, and that's going to get people's attention. And... Yeah, something that's just sort of fun and creative and yeah, that sort of showcases the creativity. I think to add to that, and I double down on the curiosity, there's this notion of what is the perfect gift. And I think that the definition of a perfect gift is something that you really appreciate, but you never get for yourself. That is the perfect gift. And I think that a lot of like the creative concept team on Byte comes from that mentality of like, even for people who are good chefs and are really good in the kitchen, like something that they wouldn't do. I think that the CLT is like a very interesting example because when you look at the photo of it, it has some absurdity to it. 
technically wouldn't be that hard for you to put a tin of Ocetra caviar in the focaccia, but you wouldn't do it, <laughs> you know? And I think that there is a little bit of that, like a little bit of like that absurdity that goes into doing something that you wouldn't normally do. But I completely agree. I think that we always want to work with renowned people and not just to piggyback right on their cloud, but just to ensure that what we're giving to our audience is top of the line in terms of craft, in terms of preparation, in terms of presentation. And that is a little bit of like an insurance per se. Obviously, in the end of the day, these chefs, they're so stoked that they're doing this, that it's... they. I have a, a feeling, I don't know because I'm not them, but I have a feeling that every time that they do something like the omakase taco, for example, it's just like we're making them feel like little kids in the toy store. They're like, I can do whatever I want. I don't need to worry about if it's going to sell or not, if it's going to be wasteful or not, which is never wasteful, by the way, because again, we end up selling out every time. But I think that that's adding to curiosity. I think that that's what makes a really good drop something that people can understand at the same time. It's something that they wouldn't do it. There's a little bit of a there aspect to it. I just jump in at being around food on that one and say that there's true alchemy here. There's a little bit of art and there's a little bit of science. And Alex and Guto create incredible art around all of this that communicates. And it gives this Pavlovian response and people just see something and it's irresistible and they want to jump on top of it because they can perceive the flavor from scientific and a chemical level and the biochemistry of their mind through their eyes are seeing something that they want to consume. And then the part that I think is like absolutely fantastic is just like discovery and curiosity to triple down on that side is once they perceive the flavor being available, they want to know what that tastes like. And this is one of the only experiences that they'll be able to have to try some of those products. I think it comes down to like alchemy that drives the curiosity. And that's what Byte has become wizards with dark arts around. I want to talk about and try and unpack and extrapolate out the larger lesson here. And I've known Joey for years and we try to do interesting stuff at my fine dining restaurant. We try to do really interesting stuff. My fast casual concept as well. And we always did it apprehensively with fear because the weirder you get, the more you're catering to the edges. And, you know, can you really sustain a business with that model? Is there a lesson here for the people that are listening that weird sells, that being creative, being playful, being interesting, that it could sell and it could sell at scale? Well, my dad used to say many of the things that you dream of is one ask away. You miss 100% of the swings you don't take. And obviously, when you look at an industry and, you know, no one Sorry, I will correct that. I was going to say that no one opens a restaurant just thinking about the money. I do think, unfortunately, some people do. But I like to believe that when someone has the intention of opening a restaurant it's because they want to present something special, unique to the world. And that comes from the heart, right? It doesn't come from the wallet. And then I think that's probably one of the reasons why the restaurant business is so tough, because soon they realize that, again, they have an audience that they have to cater to which is completely counterintuitive to the genesis of the restaurant, right? Like, I think that many chefs, they go out in the world saying, like, I'm an artist and I'm going to show what I'm capable of doing. 
and then they get hit with the bill of the building that they're occupying. And then they're like, oh, okay, I need to stay in business if I wanted to remain an artist. And then little by little, they get chipped down by reality. So I think that the lesson is like, no doubt there is an audience, no doubt what you do in an artful form, it's very important to the world. But right now, one way or the other, we are very aware that these artists are oppressed by reality. So I don't know if there is much of a lesson, but there is an observation. And I think that there is a place for Bai to exist in order to even keep these people inspired. We need that. I think that if you only collect the data, you're not going to get anywhere. Like scientists, they don't start, they don't create, they don't discover anything watching data. They started with a hypothesis. And then that hypothesis, they learn things and then they mine the data and they transform it to something else. I think that by started from this hypothesis that there were other people just like us that would be willing to pay more, to taste more, to experience more. And I think that it's proven to be true as our audience just keeps on growing, that there is a space for everyone. And that creativity, the art form that is in food needs to exist. And we're glad we're here for that. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up in some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. You mentioned the word audience like a thousand times in that response, and I think that it begs the next question, which is, one, what is the sheer size of your audience? And then two, how did you build it? Because I think in unpacking how you were able to curate such a large collection of like-minded individuals that some would argue exists on the edges of culinary exploration, I think that it, that it provides a lot of really tactical information for independent restaurateurs looking to scale audience. So how big is your list? Let's start there. Sorry, I think that we're passionate when we talk about our audience and it sounds like we're talking about a million people. Our audience is actually not that large. We're like about 15,000 people, but very localized here in LA. I was going to say, that's a lot for such a localized area. Well, first, thank you for thinking that it's a lot because I think that it's like, again, Alex and I, and and I know Joey too, like we work with these mega brands where like 15,000 people are nothing. And then, so I'm always like timid about talking about the size of our audience. But yeah, now I start like hearing more and more that it's like, hey, it's a pretty sizable audience considering it's just LA. But yeah, it's around 15,000 people. It was not easy to build them and it's still not easy to keep on growing. But it's interesting that we never had like a media budget or any sorts. It was a lot of word of mouth. 
I was some presence here and there in social media. I still don't think we're not the influencer kind or we're not that obsessed about our social media following so much so that our base that we like to call our drop list that the people that we send SMS messages to is bigger than our following on Instagram, for example. We started that was a lot of word of mouth. We did some like those Facebook ads that you see here and there. It was not like groundbreaking creative. It was like a photo of something that we did, Italian beef birria tacos, which was already different or was something like that. And it was basically food porn, which I think that it's what everybody does. And then at a certain point, we switched to something different. I think that every successful business has a flywheel, but I think that when it comes to food, there is a FOMO wheel. When I talk about FOMO wheel, it's hard not to think about the Cronut in New York like a decade ago, right? That was all about FOMO because that bakery, they couldn't make enough Cronuts for that city. So that was the built-in FOMO, like, oh, I missed this batch. I'm going to go into the next batch. But if you didn't wake up early enough, you wouldn't be there in the line and you would miss it again. And again, like byte output when it comes to units, it's still pretty small. So there is a FOMO wheel. We never repeat drops as well. So there is a FOMO wheel of like, oh, I missed that one, which that creates this necessity of like, no, I want to be in the drop list. I want to get notified when these things go live. Just like Alex was saying, we just put the 22222 tacos on our website and it's sold out. How quickly did that sell out? That was really fast, actually. We just posted that before we jumped on and I don't know, 30 minutes, not an hour. Oh my God. Yeah. So like, think about that. We're talking about $222 meal tacos. The fact that we sold that out in less than 30 minutes, I'm proud of that. So yeah, so that's what we start working on the FOMO. We shift our ads. Instead of making ads of things that we'll do in the future, we start making our ads of things that we did in the past. And the copy line of these ads, like, sorry, you missed this one, but don't miss the next. It's Get smart. on our list. Very smart. Yeah. And we call it the campaign. We still call it the FOMO campaign. And it did wonders for us right in the beginning. I think we might still even run these ads a little bit. I know... To be completely honest, Josh, we spend like $20 a day in ads. That's it. Wow. (laughs) It's nothing. And that's not centered around selling out. That's just centered around list building, right? Exactly. Audience. Because that is ultimately the engine, right? The bigger the list, the bigger the potential there is to monetize that list. I want to talk about something else that I think is really important and I think speaks to the larger industry. You guys did a very good job from the earliest days of deciding who your customer is. Because your customer isn't everybody. I would argue that your customer is almost nobody. And understanding that and understanding that there are just a handful of people on the planet that are going to see a caviar, lettuce, and tomato sandwich and be like, that's for me. I'm going to pay $8,000 for that sandwich or whatever the price point was. You've had to make really specific choices, right? So you can't actually put out an ad It's a meat and potatoes ad because it's going to bring the wrong type of person onto your list. So talk to me about who your target customer is. If you can clearly define that person for me and how you speak to that person specifically. Yeah, I'm going to unpack that in few components, but I think you're absolutely right. I think like our audience is practically nobody. (laughs) And that's 
I will go back to what I said earlier about like meeting the audience in different points of the demand curve. We are definitely on a point of the demand curve that there are like very few people, but also very few people, very important people. Every company that is in digital, you're going to hear them talking about customer acquisition cost. And in our case, it really doesn't matter because we know that once we acquire that customer, we're selling them caviar sandwiches for $90 a piece. So the way we started this, again, was a hypothesis that these people existed. But then the way we started this, we put our skin on the game. So we would go to Alexander Williams that, you know, used to be at Twamac and he started Breadhead. And we say like, look, we think that this is going to work. But if it doesn't work, we'll buy all the ingredients that you invested on this. Really? Yeah, we'll cover it. And sometimes when it's something that is absolutely exotic, we're still willing to do that. Because again, it's a never ending learning about what people would love. I'm sure that Alex have more things that are relevant to this conversation too. Alex, if you want to jump in. Yeah. Okay. A couple of things. One, we are not only in the business of doing insane, highly priced things with exquisite ingredients. We at Byte are in the business of doing awesome food events with the most creative and inventive culinary talent all around LA to do just exciting, cool stuff. It can be a $10 bathtub tapache and bread from the former Sue and head of the bread program at Bavel and Bestia. That's a Diego Argati of now his pop-up Estrano. It's like going to a high energy punk show like in Chinatown, but he's like dishing out most insane pastas. We're doing everything from that to, yeah, some of the stuff that's like a $700 caviar journey with Josiah Citrine. The through line is that it's unique, it's exciting, it's different, it's got story. And then we come, we bring our marketing, we bring our sort of creative lens to this to sort of tell that story and get people really excited about it. Something else. Okay, I know we're saying, yeah, our audience is practically no one. What we mean by that is our audience is the person who is looking to invest in experiences that are fun and exciting and cool. What we're selling is not necessarily food. The same person on a daily basis, like I'm going to get a burrito here, a taco there, whatever. But when they're coming to bite, they're not coming to say, oh, I need to eat something. What's on the menu? It's like going to a show or doing something with your friends that's Instagram worthy. So it's finding people that are sort of like in a different purchase mindset. And there's a big market of people who are doing things like that. And I think that's what we're tapping into with Byte. I think you bring up a great point. And the point that I was trying to illustrate is that it is important to niche. If everyone is your customer, then no one is your customer. And I think you guys stand as a beautiful case study in all cuisines, right? Pushing out things in all tiers of dining. That if you know exactly who your human is, like your perfect customer, that you can hit them in a thousand different ways. But all of it is very true to your intention because you are only catering to that one person, to that one type of person. And I think it's a really easy trap for us to get into as restaurateurs because money is scarce. So you don't want to turn down business from anyone. I was literally on the phone two weeks ago with a restaurateur that owns an Italian restaurant that was explaining to me, we've got a burger on the menu, but it sells really well. But at what cost? You really want people to leave your Italian restaurant and say, man, you should go there and have the burger. It was great because it obliterates your brand. And so you guys have a very clear vision of not only who your target customer is, but in how you want to serve them and how you want to be perceived as a brand. And because of that, I think you've made really, really specific choices, which is why I'm a fan of the brand. 
Josh, just to add to what you're just saying and getting a little bit philosophical, the word decide, it ends with side, right? Just like homicide and suicide. What is to kill? So when you decide, you're literally killing other things in order to be one thing. That is the decisions, to your point, the choices that we make in order to be something, like we can be everything. And that, I think, helps us to find our true selves. Talking about like a cluttered industry, when you think about, oh, what's a great pizza? There are like a hundred great pizzas. And so how you break through, like how you find your place in the sun is definitely exactly what you said. It's like making choices and walking away from opportunities to a certain extent. Alex, I'm sure that it's much easier today to convince chefs to come on board than it was when you guys first started over a year ago. What is that process like? Look, we're trying to do like cool things with cool people, and we're just constantly thinking of new people we want to work with. Opportunities sort of present themselves to us, and then we're doing a lot of outreach just to hit up different chefs and say, hey, I'm trying to think of an example. We just did a series of drops around playoffs where it was like game day eats and it was different chefs interpreting the shared format sort of dip for playoffs and Super Bowl. So we had that sort of programmer franchise and we said, well, who would be great to do that? So we ended up working with the first one was uh, Burt Backman over at Slab and he did like a Texas style seven layer dip, which was kind of fun. And then we worked with Brian Borneman of Crudo Nudo and they did this loaded caviar nachos for the NFC championships, which was awesome. But I was really excited about, we culminated with a Bricia Lopez of Galagetza and they did this like epic queso fundido, like churri queso dip set. But yeah, we come up with these sort of programs and we sort of see who wants to slot in and sort of step up and take on the brief. What does the deal structure look like? It's pretty straightforward. You know, at Byte, we take a 10% flat commission on any revenue generated through the platform. That number is not random. It's very specifically set to be much lower than a lot of the other rakes in the industry. So if you're working with a third-party delivery app or any of the DSPs, that's an Uber Eats or a DoorDash or a Postmates, at a minimum, they're taking 15% of the sale. But most likely, if you're being discovered on the platform, it's up to 30. So we set what we're doing well below that. And what we try to do is also bring a new audience to drive incremental revenue, new customers, and create a great sort of buzz or press moment for your brand, and then take less. If a restaurateur was listening and they exist in the LA area, how would they get involved with you guys? DM us. And there's a lot of ways you could reach out. We have our info on byte.club is the website. But if you just find us at, at byte.club on IG, DM us. We all have the keys to the account. We'll be in there and we'll welcome you with open arms to the Byte family. And then if a restaurateur was listening and they wanted to do this on their own, they wanted to be like, this is super inspiring. I'm located in Boise, Idaho. I want to do a drop on 222, 22 things. What's a rock solid piece of advice that you would give them? How could they make sure it's a banger? How could they make sure it's going to sell out? Definitely feel open to taking some risks and like having some fun with it, especially if it's a limited time thing. It's not something that's going to be on your menu and necessarily is going to... Look, Byte is a platform. We are not ourselves chefs. I mean, I like to cook at home, but I can't do anything like the people that we work with are. So we owe it all to the talent of the chefs and the restaurants that we work with. So if you're a restaurant who wants to do something exciting... The idea of a collaboration and bringing else who has another brand, their own audience, and you can do it together and sort of make a dish that sort of works with both brands is sort of a proven model. I mean, in drop culture, we see that in sneakers and apparel. And the same goes for restaurants where when two brands come together and do something special and limited, you can drive a lot of energy for each other's businesses. Kudo, you have any advice? One thing that we do every single minute of the day is to think about our audience 
So in any business, keep connected to your audience, treat them as people, not only as dollar signs. That is probably like the key of it. What are some upcoming drops that you're excited about? I mean, it is on my mind. I know we talked about it already, but this Taco Tuesday thing is like one of my favorite things I've done. I think that we've all done. People are really responding to it. But yeah, that's going to be really exciting. But we have a ton upcoming. I guess I can sort of talk about it. It's not public yet. We're still working out the details. But for International Women's Month and International Women's Day, we're doing something to benefit regarding her. Awesome organization. That's sort of awesome organization. I've had Nina Sampson on the show. She's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're working with Dina and Kim and like the whole gang, actually. So for that, it's going to be uh, Rashida Holmes of uh, Bridgetown Roti, which got Eater's 2021 Best Restaurant of the Year. Amazing honor. Food's fire. So it's going to be Bridgetown with Woon. And it's going to be Mama Fong and Rashida coming together to make an awesome limited menu for International Women's Day, benefiting regarding her. And we're actually doing a donation element where our 10% is going to be donated right back to regarding her. And that will actually be matched by Caviar of DoorDash, who's our exclusive delivery partner over at Byte. So talk about collab culture and bringing audiences together. We have Woon, strong brand. We have Bridgetown, tons of heat. We have regarding her, Byte. And then you add Caviar and DoorDash, who are going to put their audience against it. Everyone's posting about this on Instagram. Everyone's doing their CRM emails. We'll be doing SMS and all that. But that's going to be a really exciting one that's coming up. Trying to think of other ones. I got to say, like anytime you just include booze, it's just like a good time. (laughs) It's like a party. And we have a relationship with Juneshine, the hard kombucha brand, who has a really strong branded audience themselves. But, you know, they have a tap room on Main and Santa Monica. So we are now curating a series and it's basically like pairing different flavors with the light bright. This is like an ad for Juneshine now with the light bright flavors of Juneshine. So we have Giancarlo of Ruby coming up, Jamaican pop-up, like fire food. That's going to be paired with Pog. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so, yeah, it's going to be a great year. Lots of things coming up. How do you see Bike Club evolving over the coming months and years? Yeah, Josh, you asked something about these dishes and working with chefs and being creative inside of these spaces that have been commercial and why it's so hard for operators and chefs sometimes to be able to create super special things and I think that innovation happens at the edge. And so we are looking at other edges of this industry to participate in and other ways that we'll be able to create entirely new sets of experiences for users and ways to like power the industry that haven't really been discussed that much here on the pod or or anywhere else. But I suspect we'll be getting back to you about it pretty soon. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I'd like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you guys have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share with the audience? I think what we've seen with Byte is that there's a lot of opportunity in just being really creative and trying things that might seem like even just crazy to do. But if you're passionate about it and you want to put it out there, you can find an audience to do that. Right now, Byte is only operating in Los Angeles. We plan to be in other cities and we will be soon. So when we come to your city, if you're not in LA, let's do a collab. Let's make it awesome. I really like to think of by like we're treating chefs like DJs, like we're giving them the respect that they deserve for their talent, for their creativity to the individual or to the group of individuals. And I really like to think of Byte as we are the label, we're the producers, we're the ones that believe on the talent that say like, you know what? Yes, you should do a 22 course taco omakase when we're here for you when we're guaranteed that that thing's gonna sell 
and we're guaranteed that you're going to look cool out in the world. That's how I like to see ourselves. So yeah, so if you think of yourself as an original artist, you can count on us to produce your hit and to deliver to the audience. And we'll put our heart and soul to make sure that that thing sells and it's a success. That's Alex Guto and Joey. For more on Bite Club, go to bite.club. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.